I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jon Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late-night legend Jon Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What do you do when life doesn't go according to plan? That moment you lose a job, or a loved one, or even a piece of yourself. I'm Brooke Shields, and this is Now What? A podcast about pivotal moments as told by people who lived them. Each week, I sit down with a guest to talk about the times they were knocked off course and what they did to move forward. Some stories are funny. Others are gut-wrenching. But all are unapologetically human and remind us that every success and every setback is accompanied by a choice. And that choice answers one question. Now what? One day, this lady, the like dialect coach, would come over to me when she said, "Would you like a tablet?" And I was like, "No, I'm, I'm good with my computer. Thank you." I was like, "She was like, you sure you don't want a tablet?" And I said, "Well, no, I've got, I've got a pad. Like, if I want to take notes." She's like, "Oh, darling, darling, you don't know what you're talking about." So, tablet. I should tell everybody is this. So it's, I suppose the nearest thing is this called fudge in America. Is it? Fudge. Yeah, it's like a mixture of. I guess. Yeah, I'd say fudge. Probably harder fudge. Like, but what it is 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 actually all it is is condensed milk and sugar. Oh, I know. That is all it is. Oh yeah. And it's and there's a whole thing. It's got actually years ago I did. I me and my friend wrote a sitcom in Scotland called The High Life about flight attendants, and one of the episodes was about a, a, a scientist who had discovered the perfect ratio of condensed milk to sugar to make the perfect tablet <laughs> and this formula was on a floppy disk and the disk had been stolen it was in the back of the seat in the plane and somebody anyway it was this whole thing because like oh, well the, the, it's like uh, a religion people oh, fight your tablet, over there your tablet is like uh, you know for, for some women it's like defines their very being my guest today is my friend and favorite Scotsman Alan Cumming Alan is a rarity in every which way He's a legend of the stage who's managed to also have a very successful career in film and TV and audiobooks. I could listen to his voice forever. He's unapologetically himself, and he really inspires so many people to be the same. More than anything, though, Alan is resilient. 
His life is rich with experience and full of vulnerability, be it in the form of stories from a difficult childhood in rural Scotland, to his journey of self-discovery and eventually self-love. I am delighted any time that we get to spend time together, and I was so thrilled that he agreed to do the show. So without further ado, here is Alan Cumming. Alan Cumming, I, I love you, and I'm so happy I know you. Uh, likewise, Big Shields, <laughs> likewise, really. I remember when we, well, when I first really, really met you, I was doing uh, Cabaret, and I just missed you. And you just brought me into your world and invited me to your fabulous parties. And <laughs> our mutual friend Carmine and I yes. would just come and just felt so free and yes. happy. And, and a lovely you, time. Well, you just created such an environment around just those you loved and cared about and made people feel like it's okay to have a fun time. <laughs> yeah, I think that's become my sort of mission in life, actually. You know, like, I, I realize I'm quite good at making people feel comfortable and uninhibited. And so, I, and I really enjoy it. Like, I love hosting people and doing all that. And then now my bar, you know, Club Coming, my bar yeah. in East Village is sort of a, sort of an extension of my personality, I guess, in that and way. And what, what do you think, why do you think that that's a piece of life that is so important to you? I, um... I, I suppose because I, I found a way to let go and to be uninhibited and to sort of be sort of hedonistic in my mm. life that's very ordered and very controlled. I, I find that really important. And I think being Scottish as well, that it's part of my DNA is to be, to understand the value of letting go and having a drink and chilling out. And I think in other people, uh, you see it's harder for them to do that. Do you think that it that kind of approach has helped the work that that you do? I do because... It was interesting. This past year, I did this dance sort of thing. I did a dance, a solo dance theatre piece about Robert Burns in oh. Scotland. It was so oh, nuts. Okay. Yeah, yeah, as you know, one does. Age yep. 57. <laughs> but I, during that, you know, at a Q&A, someone said, what are the things you're going to take from this, working in this way, more movementy and dancey, and take it back to your acting? And I said, well, I've realised I'm not a very precise actor. I'm a bit messy. Hmm. And I actually think that's a positive, though, that has come from, that thing about letting go and being uninhibited, that I just sort of, I go for it. And I I realized when I was dancing, you've got to, I go for it, but you've got to be more, if that's the language you're talking in, you have to be a bit more precise. So I think it is quite a good thing to, to be, I feel I don't think take, take things too seriously. I can, I can let it go. But when I'm in the moment, I'm incredibly focused. But there's something about great choreography that is so precise that within the precision, you have to be able to let go and exactly. forget it. Yes, yes. Because otherwise, it's it just doesn't come to fruition the way it's right. meant to. Yeah. So, I mean, especially with something like Cabaret. I mean, was that the sort of the beginning when you got in touch with the, the physicality of what you yes, do? Yes, I feel like I do sort of think of myself as a sort of physical actor in that I think about a character in a physical way and I I feel I tell a story by my whole body. And that was why I was quite excited to do a thing that was more, you know, dance-led rather than voice or character-led. Um, so I've always felt like that. I always think about the way people move. I always think movement is as important as the accent or the thought process. But also, I'm not very good at doing it the same as everybody else. I mean, that's the kind of, I'm, well, I'm, I'm isn't glad. isn't that the point? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. But I mean, like, some, I'm glad. Otherwise, not. you're not you and you're that's not right. really an actor. So, right. But, you know, like, in terms of dance, like, you know, I remember when I was doing Cavalier the first right. time. Well, that's I, and so I, specific. Yeah, and all the all the girls were doing a number in the Kit Kat Club and all the girls were doing it and I couldn't get it. And Rob Marshall, who's a choreographer, sort of said, oh, look, 
oh, girls, look, it's kind of interesting what Alan's doing. Maybe we should try what... And I was like, oh, you're just saying that because I can't do it the same as everybody else. And he was like, no, no. I was like, I, uh, I know it's yeah, true. Well. But actually, I don't want to do it the same as everybody else. And luckily, I don't have to. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm the person that gets to do it just, and it's just him doing it. So it's pretty, it's worked out pretty well. Do you think you always were that little kid that you still are today? Because I feel like you're so playful and so you're such a joy to be around, but you also want people to feel seen and heard for who they are. You make each person feel like they're the only person in your orbit. Oh, that's nice. I hope, yes, I, I feel I, I have always been like that. But, you know, my childhood was really bonkers. I wrote about it in a, a book and everything. My dad, it was very abusive. Not my father's son. Not my father's son. son. Yep. And I, I sort of feel that when I was a little boy, I had to be more aware of adult things too early. I had to sort of to understand really adult ideas and to deal with adults and to deal with things about adults that were I shouldn't have had to deal with at no. that age. And so I feel, I'm not quite sure, I feel in a funny way, I'm, when I got away from that, I all this sort of stuff came out and it stayed with me, uh, more so because I sort of didn't get the chance to do it then. And also I really, as an adult, understand how valuable it is and what how it really helps you as an adult. And it's something that we lose, as most people lose as they grow older, is that sort of fun and curiosity and and. um and kindness, actually. I think to clarify for listeners who haven't read your book about your relationship with your father, he was physically abusive to you and your mother and brother for decades. Yeah. And he left a huge cloud over your life as a young person. Yes. And you just had one, do you have one, just one brother? One big brother, yeah. Just yeah. one big brother. Yeah, Tom. And did he have to grow up quickly too in the same way? Or? Yeah, I think so. Because... Um, you know, he was also, he was older than me. So he kind of was protective of me. So he was doing that as well. With uh, and, and then he he got, I mean, the worst part of my childhood really was when my brother left home. And sort of then I was, just the, I was kind of just the focus of my father's attention. And how old were you? Um, when he left home, so 21, I was like 14, around about then, four, 13, 14. Still quite it was go, It was awful. Yeah, that was. And, and did uh, he leave your, your mom or did? Did your mom? My mom, and no, like my parents, uh, oh, so weird. So uh, they eventually split up, like, okay. but they split up. <laughs> they, they told me they were splitting up two days after my 21st birthday. You know that thing when they, and then they say, we stayed together for you. you. Oh, and, that's uh, just one more thing to add to, right, your, to your, your list. To your therapist bills. It's, it's, uh, I was so desperate for them to separate all through my childhood. I was just, so, I mean, I was just so desperate to get out because it was just awful. It was so violent and dark and terrifying and I remember once that when something bad had happened my mum we drove she were going she said we're going to the cinema but it was a big deal we drove to this town called Dundee and it was winter it was snowy and as we were and it was something t weird had happened at home and my mum and dad had a big fight and we went in the car and my mum said how would you like to live alone with just me and you and Tom my brother you know basically leave my dad and I said, what, without dad? And she went, yes. I went, I would really like that. And just then the car skidded on the ice and completely turned in a circle and we ended up in a ditch. And it was just, and it was never mentioned again. And it, it was all your fault. It was all my fault for saying, yeah. yes, my parents should split up. Yeah, so, you, you know, said that. You, God came down and just struck God you. wreaked yep, his just, havoc. Just it was. But it sort of was one of those things that uh, then when they did, I kind of felt my parents had sort of reached a way of, you know, living apart together and they seem to be happier and they seem to be sort of 
content in their separate lives living under. It was quite a big house. They were able to do that. And was uh, he still sort of raining down his wrath on you? At no, that well, that same... point, by that point, I'd got, like, when I was 17, I left and went to drama okay. school. And really, when I first sort of left, when I was sort of earning, I, I had a job in a mag- on a magazine before I went to drama school for a bit. So as soon as I kind of was not his slave, because mm. I kind of was my father's slave, I actually worked for him. You know, like, he paid... I worked on the estate and I, it was a very transactional thing. So as soon as I wasn't working for him, uh, he kind of let up a little bit. He was still scary. And also I was more, you know, as 16, 17, he was, it wasn't as violent. And and then I left home. And so I went to drama school and everything changed. But th- the idea that they would say to me, we have, we, we waited till you were 21 before we did this was heartbreaking to me. So, so horrible awful. to do to a kid. Yeah, I remember it was one of those things my mom told me I dropped the phone and kind of like fell on the floor. It was because I felt, yeah, I felt angry that they were saying, you think you're doing this for me when it was the worst thing you could have done. And also, don't give me that. Don't say you're doing you're doing it because it's easier now, but don't don't bring me into it. Do you view him differently now that you're removed from that environment? I, I, I... I, I have to think, I mean, I do think that he was mentally ill with, mm. with some sort of undiagnosed personality disorder. No empathy and no responsibility for any of his actions. But it, is, it makes it, I have to say, it makes it easier because it wasn't just about me. It wasn't just that he hated me. But it's, 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 but it's, it's just, I mean, you know, it's, it's a lot. I mean, we've all got our... Childhood but too. you've always been so resilient. And I and I say, you know, it's interesting because you talk about life being a prize, not a gift. And and I like the word resilient just because survivor also makes me feel like we're always victims of things that yeah. we have to, you know, overcome. And yeah. I like to think that I'm not a victim of my circumstance, that I had at least the strength to to be resilient through it. And, and to, understand, to be, understand that it's not right. And well, and, and to, it sometimes takes decades before totally. one can understand. Yeah. Did you ever have a? Because th- I mean, when you were talking there, I sort of thought, yeah, I, I feel I am all those things. But there was a point when I lost it. You know, there was a point when I had okay. a breakdown, and I just, I, I all, you know, I, and when? I remembered so many things as well from my childhood. All ju- at once, did it all just come? Yeah, my late twenties. It was just I. I was trying to be a father. Actually, I was trying to. I was married at the time, and I we were trying to have kids and. In the act of trying to make a child, all these things about being a father kind of came back to me, and I, and then I was very worried that I was going to be like my dad. I, would I break that that cycle? All these things, and it all came up, and I remembered all these memories and things that I'd suppressed, and I just kind of lost it. For I had a sort of a breakdown for a wee while, and then I came out of that much more, you know, stronger. And I confronted my dad with my brother. We went back and confronted him about the stuff that happened. We hadn't seen him for years. And we said we'd like to go and talk to him together. So I think he knew. And then we just had a, you know, I'd written all down what I wanted to say. And we talked and we had a, went on a long walk with him. And it was good in a way. It was kind of awful in many ways. Wow. It was dreadful, actually. <laughs> but we left the door open. We said, if you want to have a relationship with us, we feel that you have got to come back to us and try and help us. through. We're giving this back to you. It wasn't ours just to hold mm-hmm. this pain. And so you have to acknowledge that this happened. And if you want to be in our lives and have a relationship, then, you know, the door is open, but you have to meet us and come back and never heard from them again. Wow. So in a way, that was a gift because he, I just, he couldn't, he couldn't do it. And so I was able to move on. 
Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. So you have this nervous breakdown in your late 20s. How does that manifest itself? Oh, well, first of all, in sort of just really, really depressed. I was having, you know, the huge After success. After you've done that, you've been in Cabaret and the West End and Hamlet, and you're the yeah, tar- I'm a, I'm talk a, of the town. Talk of the town. Everything's Hollywood's going great. calling. And yeah, and I just can't get out of bed. And it takes me like an hour to decide what to wear and I'm crying and I don't know. I mean, just oh. ridiculous. <laughs> and what did your wife, she, did oh, she, she feel uh, helpless? Did she? She, uh, yeah, I felt helpless. She felt angry as well because I was suddenly, you know, I was pulling the rug from under. I was saying, I don't think I can be a father. And I don't know if I can, I don't know why, but I want to be out of this relationship. I can't do, you know, I was just everything. No. Because it sort of was like the person I was, I realized was the product of some really terrible stuff. And so I had to like, change who I was. I had to find out who I was and make that my life rather than be living. I, I, it was, see what I mean? Yeah, it was just a really weird thing. And so my marriage was sort of, you know, it was going along pretty well, but it was just untenable. And then it was, it was just, I, I realized that I, you know, I sought the familiar in it. I sought some, a sort of controlling and someone who I loved very much, but who didn't listen didn't listen to me. Um, oh, and that's, you know, that's, I hate to say, but it's, it is very typical. Yeah. You know, I mean, my first husband, 
you know, they say, oh, you marry your father. Well, in this case, I married my mother in many ways, you know, because I was under his realm, his his umbrella, his world, yeah. everything. And I was fine with it because I could just follow along That's and be what slightly you were used to. Yeah. a step behind. And also it was nice not being front center. But now you were quite young when you got married. Yeah, right? uh, 21, really young. And yet you Just must have been looking for some kind of, like you said, like to answer. I, I wanted security. I was in love and I, all that stuff as well. But also I realized now I wanted home. I wanted safety. I wanted kindness. Kindness. And I I had so, uh, all my life, I suppose I'd felt like so insecure about many things. Was I going to be hit? What was I doing that was going to engender the next bout of violence or what was I was just very insecure but not insecure as a like I was very confident and fun but my actual core was insecure about anxiety I suppose mm -hmm. you could call it uh, I was very anxious and so I think I went into that into a marriage just to sort of find a really a, a base and I did for a while it was really you know good for me and I, th I think you also talk about in your book about not having regrets about any of the relationships no the, the good ones the bad ones the whatever because each one of them has led you to where you are today totally totally and that was where you were at that time exactly and I, I and I, I gave it my best shot and I and then ultimately you know it was uh it just didn't it couldn't it was untenable and also I was you know I was having a huge huge breakdown so your new book is Baggage, which is wonderful. I love the, the mix. First of all, I love your writing style and ability. Thanks, it's Frank. at once very poetic and very deep and funny and irreverent. And it just, it catches you. It is sort of a calling, I think. I think people need to read your books. I mean, they uh -huh. identify with you on so many levels right. and it's really honest. And I love how it doesn't have, you talk about it not being all in a nice, neat package with a happy yeah. Hollywood ending. And right. I think that that's reality. And also I feel, well, it reminds me of your book when you talked about postpartum depression, that it's people are so starving to hear people who are in the public eye and seemingly have it all and look successful and they're all on the cover of magazines. And you are that, all those things, but also at the same time, you're a real person. And there's like behind that image, there's real stuff and you're sometimes falling apart. And we, I think, especially in America, there's this pressure to kind of keep the image mm -hmm. going. You know, I think it's an example of that is the whole thing in microcosm. You know, like when you're at a party and it's a showbiz party and then there's a <laughs> photographer and they come and say, well, let's do a photo. Right. And then the publicists come and take away your drinks. Yep. And you think, why would you take away drinks at a at party? A party. <laughs> it's like, it means it's a party like, I don't want to go to. <laughs> and, and me neither. And I go, no, I'm holding this drink in this picture because I want people to see, well, I think if you are thinking about it, people who see these magazines think, oh God, those parties, nobody drinks. I know. <laughs> and actually, we, we're just we know that's not true. to get back to our cocktails <laughs> after the photographer goes away. But that sort of thing is painting a picture of something that is, is taking away an element that everyone does and is real. And, and that's what I think you or I writing about our lives and saying, yeah, I'm, you know, you know, famous and everything. But at the same time, I've here's all this other shit, this, and you've got it too. And I'm not going to pretend I don't have it. That's another thing. I'm also going to say, I, I, I am actually probably a better person because of these things. Because I feel I've, I'm more grounded and I'm more, I'm more flawed. It's like there's this a couple of years ago. I did this film with Katie Holmes, and it's coming out soon. And there's a thing about it that um, I run a uh, antique shop in it, and there's this. Japanese sort of, uh, you know, pottery 
if a pot is broken and they put it together again and and uh, all the little bits, that actually it is more valuable and more beautiful because it has been broken. And I that's why that. also Raku, yeah. Raku, it's completely filled with cracks throughout yeah. the whole thing. And it's how they, they fire it in the kiln and put it in colder exactly. water and it shocks it. And that is some of the most valuable. Absolutely. And I just think as a metaphor, the idea that your brokenness mm-hmm. and your ability to talk about that and to be open about that makes you more full and more more complete. And your ability to stay together with your brokenness. I had a yeah. Japanese, very brilliant Raku master teacher at college. And every time I would center a piece of clay, she would come over and knock it off center. Oh, and wow. I was just, just oh, I was like, I wanted to save every perfect thing that I did. And she said, you're too precious. Uh, you're hanging on too that's tight. Great. And it was this idea that you throw something into the extremes, but it stays together. Oh. And then the Raku master, 13th generation son, came to her studio wow. and did a tea ceremony with us. And he talks about the more fractured we are, the stronger we actually are and better we are. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Switching a little bit, talking about your new show, Traders. Oh, yes. I mean, 
It's fabulous. It's like this combination of it's reality, but you are this sort of larger than life character. Tell us about it. Well, it's a sort of, I mean, it's totally fucking, or can I say fucking? Yes, you can. My mother used to say, never say fuck in front of the (laughs) B-A-B-Y. (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, you would have loved my mom. Anyway. Uh, yeah. the, uh, it's on uh, Peacock, right? So it's on Peacock. Peacock, everybody. Peacock, and it's a sort of a. Peacock. It's like a reality, psychological competition reality show. Murder mystery. Murder mystery <laughs> in a castle in Scotland, and basically twenty people come. And the thing that's weird about it, well, one of the many things, the reason I'm in it. But I'm hosting it, but I'm not like, hello, I'm Alan Cumming. Welcome. I'm, no. I play this character, this sort of dandy Scottish laird. Oh, in pink plaid. With, in these ridiculous and outfits and, and sashes and, and sashes. berets and <gasps> slippers. And it's supposed to be my castle. And I've invited these people to it. And I quote Shakespeare and Plato and all these things. And it's just nuts. I camp around. It's the campest thing I've ever done. And that's me saying that. I was going to say, that's coming from you. Yeah. That's <laughs> And so basically, it's like that game Mafia. Have you ever played that? Uh-huh. So it's like that. So I tap three people on the shoulder around all this table and they're the traitors. Mm-hmm. And so every night they have to kill, you know, pretend, choose who's going to be murdered. And so they don't appear the next morning. And they go in a turret and they've got cloaks on. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and then it's a round table and every night all the contestants choose someone to banish. And so another person goes. And then and during the day, they do these tasks. So, you know, they you know, look they, hard. I don't think so, I'd be able to. buried alive. <laughs> I, will, I would never be able to have that <laughs> and top of And they get thrown. And then oh. also the one with on the wheel, the Ferris wheel going round round. And then the last one, they have to jump out of a helicopter into a freezing loch. I mean, it's nuts. It's just like hearing you say loch. Loch, loch. <laughs> and, but you can it. win a quarter of a million dollars. Anyway, it's just, it's sort of, it's obsessive because my thinking of why it's obsessive. Aside from my fabulous outfits and my, uh, you know, quoting of Shakespeare and just being the campus thing since Christmas is that we see people lying and we, you know, we don't normally get a chance to just look at people blatantly lying when we know they're lying and also seeing how well or badly they are lying. And I think that's got a lot to do because we all lie in life, but we don't, we never all together look at people lying. And I think that's what it's about. The whole thing is filmed in Scotland. Scotland. How important is it, is your Scottish heritage uh, to you? Hugely. I mean, I feel, also the older I get, I feel more, sort of more connected to Scotland. Because I've been, you know, I've lived outside of Scotland much longer than I actually have lived there. I have a little, uh, you know, uh, place still there, a little cottage. And I go back a lot. But I feel the fact of going away from you, the place you're from, kind of makes you understand what it is about that place that defines you. So I understand why I'm Scottish. I understand the thing. And it's partly when I came to New York to do cabaret the first time, a lot of the things I was being celebrated for, like I was different, how I sounded, my accent, my attitudes, were all things that I realized that living in London, I'd slightly play down or were slightly seen as less than and I was slightly derided for, whereas here I was celebrated for them. So that was a really interesting thing for me. I thought, yeah, I, it's good. I, I, it is, my accent is nice and it is good to have these values and it is great to think differently about things. And, to sort of, and so I've, I've, I've over the years realised what it is about me that is Scottish and how that has been such a big part of my success and also uh, about who I am as a person. And so I feel very Scottish. That. I love how Scottish you are. I mean, yeah. I just, I love being around it. I love <laughs> listening to you. I love, Aww. you know, but it's because there is something unique to us, you know, as, <laughs> as me and the, just being an American, you know, right. but, yeah. you know, you sort of hear it in the traditions. and uh, Yeah. And, and also I, I say there's a thing, I, I said this in one of my concerts, but like being Scottish, it's like having 
all the tradition and history of Scotland and it's ground up and it's in the marrow of your bones. You know, it's not, it's just there. It's just yeah. something you... That's like being a New Yorker for me, though. I right. say it, it really is. Exactly the same. <laughs> We've talked I about feel that. that. Yeah, you just feel at home in, in this city mm-hmm. and you feel that energy as part of you. And I feel like that thing of when people come to New York and some people just don't get it. Some people say it's not for them. And other people are like, oh, I found my tribe. I'm here. This is, and, I, and that's, I think, similar thing with Scotland. I, I've got friends that go like, oh, well, you know, it was, it was okay. But actually, oh, no. I know, I think they're nuts. But it's sort of the energy of the place. That's what's similar to New York. The energy, you feel it. Well, and, and also the just loyalty the, of the people yeah, and the authenticity and the welcome. of the people. The welcoming. And I always say, you're a New Yorker if you love it here. Yeah. The minute you say, I love it here, yeah. you're a native. Abs- I mean, that's, absolutely. that's what we, that's how we do it. And that's how I felt in Scotland. You know, I just felt. Well, you're like, yeah, yeah I can see because you're, you're game and you're open to life <laughs> and you love a wee drink and you love having fun. Absolutely. And you're kind. You know, yeah. all those are sort of Scottish qualities. I think. Yeah, it's, and and many different sort of cultures have that, but I call this show Now What because we've already talked about many of them in your life, but I'm so fascinated by those moments where we are just the rug is pulled out from under us, sometimes in a positive way even, but those now what moments in your life that you really have to ask yourself how am I going to go through this? What wh- how am I choosing to get through? Are there any other now what moments that really stick out in your mind? Uh, well, there's been a few, I suppose. I sort of like when big changes happen in your in your career and you're sort of used to something, and we've both been doing this a long, long time. And mm. you know, you're when you're when you finish a long job, and or a long series or something, it's uh. something that's going on for years, and you're like, oh, I'm still looking forward to a break. I'm still looking forward to a change. And then <laughs> you the wake up morning. the next morning, you think, holy shit, <laughs> I'll never work again. I'll never work again. <laughs> and also, why does my hair look so bad? You know, when nobody's coming to brush your hair or <laughs> stuff like that. But I think of those quite a lot. And also, I had a a time when I was in a actually just so probably around about the time we first met. I'd been in this very toxic relationship and it ended. I finally got out of it. And I just thought... I think I remember. Yeah. Yeah. And I just thought, now what? Because I am so obviously bad at this. (laughs) I keep having these terrible relationships. It's not like you've had a lot of, you know, models to... No, exactly. All right, you had to learn. But it was my now what kind of made me realize I've been doing the same thing. I've been trying to fix people. I've been trying to change angry people. Mm. And that, as soon as I realized that, and I just thought, I'm not too bad. I've got my issues, but I'm not going to, and I don't want people to change me either. And so as soon as I realized that, that was when shortly I met Grant. Yeah. And that was, I was my lovely husband. And, you know, he's the first person I've met who uh, have had a relationship with, who actually hasn't wanted to change me. I know he'd like to sometimes. (laughs) And there's this thing that happened a couple of years ago that's, I've, I've, so I was in Edinburgh and I was doing my concerts and I was doing a club coming, my sort of party show and I had sort of, you know, guests and the band and I was DJing. And when I do that, it's, it's late, everyone's dancing, everyone's drunk. And I body surf, you know, that thing when you <gasps> yeah. crowd, crowd surf and yeah. you go out of the body. Like in a I, mosh pit. Like kinda. a mosh pit where you go around the whole thing and everyone's holds up with your hands. <laughs> and I, had, I, had a, I was wearing a monkey outfit oh. and it was so That's fun. a little nod to cabaret maybe. <laughs> yes, okay. exactly. And so... And it was on social media and things like that. And uh, <laughs> my friend Eddie called up Grant and because Grant was back. He wasn't with me. He was in, back here in New York. And he said, Grant, have you seen on social media, Alan is uh, crowd surfing in a monkey suit, obviously drunk at t- t- three in the morning. He's going to get cancelled. Yeah. Are you not anxious? <laughs> are you not, you're not worried about this? 
And Grant said, Eddie, you know, I am a very anxious person. Obviously, this freaks me out on many levels, but Alan is a butterfly and we have to let him fly. Oh. I know. Oh. I know. And that that is just the most lovely thing that he wants to stop me doing that. But he understands I need to do that and that's a part of who I am. And that's that's part of your prize because you have to earn it and you have earned it. Yeah. And what do you think your through line is in your whole life? Like when you look back. I feel like I am, what you see is what you get. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I'm always the same person. My circumstances have changed, but I feel I talk to everybody the same. I try and engage with everybody. And I, I, I feel I've just... I feel I'm like a real person. I'm, I'm an authentic person. It's exhausting sometimes. You're putting quite a lot out. But I feel that's my through line is just, I'm not going to hide mm-hmm. just because I'm well-known or something. I'm going to still engage with life. I'm going to do the things I want to do. I'm going to confound people's expectations. I'm going to shock people. I'm going to piss people off. But I'm going to be who I want to be. That was the delightful Alan Cumming. If you want to see more from him, including some legendary outfits, check out his new show, The Traders, streaming now on Peacock. If you want to hear more from me, well, subscribe to this show. Now what? With Brooke Shields on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now What? With Brooke Shields is a production of iHeartRadio. Our lead producer and wonderful showrunner is Julia Weaver. Additional research and editing by Darby Masters and Abu Zafar. Our executive producer is Christina Everett. The show is mixed by Bahid Frazier. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.